Matthew chapter 7. For some of you, this passage has been familiar since you were just children. For others, maybe not as familiar, but that's okay. Matthew 7 and 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Amen. Father, we thank you again for the wonderful anointing that is here. We thank you, Lord, for the needs that you ministered to this morning in your presence, Lord God. And we just pray that as we open your word together that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would direct us, that you would challenge us. Lord, that your will would be done in each and every life, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Bless the Lord. Nobody likes to be thought of as a fool. It's an insulting term. It implies that you are a person without the capability to make good choices or to handle situations wisely. And when people use that word about other people, and just as a side note, the scripture actually cautions us against doing that, they are stating that that person is of little intelligence, that they're not very smart at all. And uh, while we may not all be fools, and I like to think that none of us are fools, I'm fairly confident that if we think back in our lives, we've probably all done something foolish along the way. Anybody got nothing you've ever been embarrassed about? Nothing that if your history was a a Word document that you'd like to go back and just highlight and delete that line? If you don't think you do, ask your family. They'll help you to remember. Families are great for doing that sort of thing, amen. A couple of weeks ago, I think the last Sunday morning that I preached here... I ministered about three types of sinners. And this morning, I want to preach about three kinds of foolishness. Three kinds of foolishness. In the scripture, when a fool is mentioned, it is not a statement of a low IQ or that a person is unable to perform the basic tasks of life. We automatically assume when we read the word fool that, you know, they're they're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. They're, you know... They need a little bit more supervision maybe than other people do. But in the scripture, it's not about your IQ. It's not about your school results or how briny you think you are. But rather, it's an indictment against that person that they are rejecting God, that they are ignoring God or even going as far as to declare that there is no God. Two places in the book of Psalms, it tells us that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And it is the most foolish thing of all the foolish things that you can remember that you may or may not have done. There is nothing more foolish than to declare that there is no God. Regardless of intellect or brilliance, the disregard or denial of God positions a person for an eternity which will be filled with torment and anguish and incredible regret for that choice. And it is a choice. Amen. It's interesting that in the scripture, the word fool appears some 70-something times, 
but I think it's about 60 of those times that it appears in what's known as the wisdom literature. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, that kind of stuff, where it's a comparative thing. The wise does this, the fool does that. And it, that's, it's kind of ironic that the word fool appears more than anywhere else in the wisdom literature, I thought. But the example that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 27 is a simple yet powerful word picture of exactly that situation. The houses that are built speak of the construction and the direction of a life. Jesus was not interested in what kind of house you built, whether you used bricks or timber or stone or you lived in a tent. That really wasn't of importance, but he was speaking using an illustration to speak about the kind of lives that we construct and the things that our lives are built upon. And it's really he's talking about the truths or the principles, the priorities that make up our foundation, that determine if our house will pass judgment, that determine if our house will last the distance. And Jesus makes it very clear that it's not about gender, it's not about race, it's not about wealth or poverty, but it's about obedience to his word. That is the only thing that can produce a foundation that when everything is wrapped up at the end of time will still be there. The truth of God's word is the only thing that you and I can build upon that will survive and take us into eternity to be with the Lord forever. If you believe that this morning, say amen. Amen. The size of the house is not the crucial factor. It's not how big or how bright your life looks in the eyes of other people. It's what's under the floorboards. If you tear up the floor and you begin to dig and take a pick and a shovel, if there isn't a rock down there, you've got a problem. If there isn't a foundation that's going to stand the test of time, you have an issue. That's why the psalmist said, a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. He said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. In other words, if I'm living in a little shack on the rock, if I'm the most humble dwelling that there is, that's better than a palace that's built on sand. Amen. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. That's not just this house, but it's this house as well. This is his house where we gather together. But Paul said, know you not that your bodies are the temple of the living God. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He said, our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. When you're built upon the promises and the word of God, you're compact. You're strong. It's not about how puny you might be. You read the book of Revelation when he wrote to the church at Philippi. He didn't say, you were amazing. You're so powerful. He said, you've got a little bit of strength. A little bit of strength, he said, but you've not denied my name. You've kept my word. You've not denied my name, and they're still there at the end. That's what it's all about today. It's not about how strong you think you are. It's about how strong he is. It's not about how impressed other people are with you. It's about what am I standing on? Because no matter how small and puny you may think you are, if you're on that rock when the wind comes and the rain falls and eventually that storm passes and the sun comes out, your puny little self will still be standing on that rock. And those big, loud people that seem so impressive will be washed down the river because they're not built upon a rock. 
Hallelujah. So before I go any further this morning, if you haven't built your life upon obedience to the Word of God, today's a great day to make that choice. Today's a great day to start to build a new life with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It's the foolish person that builds without Jesus. That's one kind of foolishness. Build your life without God. But you can choose. It's kind of amazing that you can choose to position yourself in the wise column and remove yourself from the foolish column, but also works in reverse. You know, when you went to school, there's a little bit of a thing they, you know, they try to tell young people, you can be anything you want. And I'm, I believe in encouraging people, but that's not completely true. We all have different abilities and strengths. You know, if you're not very good at science, I don't want somebody telling you you can be a doctor. That's not going to go well. You know, you, you've got different strengths and different abilities. You know, if you, you want to be a world-famous artist, but you can't draw a stick figure. You know, we have limitations. You know, when I was at high school, this confession, there was a good friend of mine that was very artistic. And they did, we, we were both in art class together, and we were also both in a technical drawing class. And I was pretty good at technical drawing, and they were really good at art, so we did each other's homework. Not encouraging the kids to do that. And I recognized I wasn't going to be good enough at art to get across the line. But in the kingdom of God, you can choose regardless of whether you can paint or operate or you're a mathematician. or a music, You can say, I'm going to be in the wise column. I'm going to be in the column that says there's a rock under my feet. And I'm going to stand upon promises that say no man can pluck me out of the Father's hand. No matter how weak and how puny I think I am. And I want you to, you're not as weak and puny as you think you are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why the apostle said that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That old building built on the beach, sweep that thing down. Let's find ourselves a new block of ground. Let's build upon a rock. Amen. Go with me to Matthew chapter 25 if you would. Talking about three kinds of foolishness. Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 1, says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, and five were foolish. And they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go you out to meet him. And all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. And afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily or truly I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know not, you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. This is another parable that the Lord's giving us. It's, 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 there are principles and lessons, and really 
it's a, it's a portion of Scripture that there are so many things that can be brought out of it. And if you serve the Lord for any period of time, you'll hear this passage preached from again and again and again. But the event that we read of is a wedding. And without spending a lot of time going into Jewish tradition and customs, the virgins would wait for the bridegroom to accompany him to the marriage. And there's a few things I want to bring out, just a couple of details. And you might think, oh, I left out some really important stuff and maybe I will but we know that all 10 of them were virgins were symbolic of purity and of being acceptable for the role that they've been invited to participate in it's most likely that they were family members or close friends of the bride and or the groom and somehow in the customs of the day with the wedding they were unaware exactly when the bridegroom would arrive that seems strange to us. You know, Sister Sheila was telling me once, you African folks, don't be offended, that apparently in Africa, it's, people can wait a long time for a wedding to start. That happens here as well. But, uh, you know, they, they obviously didn't know. said, while the bridegroom tarried, there, there didn't seem to be a four o'clock or a three o'clock or this is exactly when he's coming. But there was a period of time and they were unaware exactly when he would arrive and they knew that it might take a while because five of them had extra oil. It tells me they knew just in case it was longer than they thought it might be, they needed to be ready. And what separated the wise from the foolish was not an issue of purity. It wasn't an issue of belonging to the family, nor was it an issue of being prepared, or actually it was an issue of recognizing that they did not know how long they might have to wait and being prepared and committed to be ready and waiting. And I want you to know this morning that you can be born again of water and spirit. You can be washed white in the blood of Jesus Christ. You're a part of the family of God and right now you're ready for His return. But we don't know exactly when that's going to be. There are a lot of people who have a lot of ideas, and I'll tell you what I believe. I believe it's soon. When I look at this world, I think things are wrapping up quickly. And I believe that Jesus is coming back soon. I've heard it since I was a child, but what I feel in the Spirit of God is that we need to be ready. Amen. But we also need to have a made-up mind that if He comes today, I'm ready. That if He comes tomorrow, I'm ready. If he waits for 10 years, I'm still going to be prepared. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to have oil in my lamp. I'm going to have extra. I'm going to be as full as I can be. So whether it's today, tomorrow, or 10 years from now, when the bridegroom comes, he's going to find me waiting. If you believe that this morning, worship him. Hallelujah. I want to be ready when he comes. Jesus, I made up my mind a long time ago that whether he comes today or he comes tomorrow, whether I'm having a good day or a bad day, by his grace and by his mercy, when that trumpet sounds, I'm going up to be with him. Hallelujah. I've known too many people that have let their lamps run out, that have let the fire go out, that have been distracted by this thing or that thing. My Bible says the more you see the day approaching. 
not the less. He says, get to the house of God. Be in prayer. Walk with God the more you see his return approaching. Not, oh, well, it's been a while, you know. The Bible tells us he's coming when we think not. That means that you can't guess. You've got to be ready all the time. The parable of the sower and the seed tells us two, two of the kinds of soil we read about. Seed fell on stony ground, sprang up healthy and strong. But then the sun came out, began to beat down upon that little seedling. And it withered and died because its roots didn't get down far enough into the moisture and the nutrients that were there under the stones. Tells us about another seed that fell upon thorny ground. Again, it grew up healthy and strong. But what happened, the cares of life choked, strangled it, and it was unfruitful. It wasn't that there wasn't life there, but the, the, the richness and the nutrients were being shared in too many areas. Too many other things were taking from the soil that should have been pouring into that plant and bringing forth fruit. We need to understand how many things we've got growing in our patch. We need to look at our lives and say, what's draining the things that are supposed to be giving me life? What are the things I've invested time in that the return is not worth the price? Paul said, this one thing I do. Could have been doing a whole bunch of stuff, but he said, this one thing I do. I'm reaching, I'm pressing, I'm looking for the return of Jesus Christ. I'm laying aside the weight and the sin that can beset me, the things that drag me down, the things that wear me out, the things that make me feel more exhausted than I should. Weariness is a part of life. There are seasons where we're weary, where we are weary. That's why the Bible says sometimes having done all, just stand. But there are things that we add to our lives that add weariness, that add extra weight, that add extra burden that God said, I didn't put that there. He said, my yoke, my burden, it's light. It's easy. You add that other junk, that's on you. But you drain that oil out of that lamp and that little flame begins to flicker. And you've got to try to find some other way to fill your back up. We need to be ready, amen? That's the second kind of foolishness been so busy doing everything else and thinking, yeah, I was in church on the weekend. I ticked that box. I ticked the bread Bible chart that I've got in the back of my Bible. And let me tell you, you need to be reading that word. And if you're reading the daily Bible plan every day, keep it up. But don't be thinking, well, I read the three chapters of Lamentations this morning. I haven't got a clue what it was talking about. But me and Jesus are like this. No, 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 no. You've got to be on your face. You've got to be in his presence. You've got to be in his house. You've got to be saying, Lord, search my heart. Cleanse my heart. Test me. Try me. See if there's anything that shouldn't be in there, Lord. Keep this vessel full. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why the Scripture says, be filled with the Spirit. It's ongoing. And it says to walk in the Spirit. Amen. Don't be that kind of foolish that gets distracted. Don't be that kind of foolish that like that seed that fell into the stony ground that gets hardness into its heart. Get the stones out. Get the, you know, when we preach sometimes, it's going to feel like somebody's taken a pick and swung it right into your patch. It hurts. Never been hit with a pick before. Don't want to experience that. I've hit myself with a tomahawk. That was bad enough. You shouldn't chop wood in the shed in the dark with a torch in your mouth. It's not a good idea. 
And that was one of those foolish things I did. But when, that, when the Word of God penetrates into your soil, you feel that, but as it pulls back up and that sand and the, the stones begin to be loosened, it's an opportunity to say, get the junk out. Get the junk out. Get more oil in there. Bless the Lord. That's why we sing that old song, give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. Amen. One more kind of foolishness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Bless the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1 and 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, and under the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption that according as is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. The comparison in this passage, again, when it talks about wisdom and foolishness, is not a comparison between intelligence and a lack of intelligence. When it speaks of God having foolishness, or of God using the foolish things of the world, it is a comparison between the natural wisdom of man that rejects God and trusts in itself and trusting in the Word of God. That's the comparison there. I've heard it preached from this passage that that's why we don't necessarily see a lot of highly intelligent people in the kingdom of God. I disagree with that. I disagree with it. The church is not full of bozos. Lift your hands and say, I'm not a bozo. If you didn't raise your hand, that's up to you. I gave the out, but if you didn't take it, that's on you. That's not what the comparison is. The church is full of very intelligent people. I like to think I can tie my own shoes. I'm doing all right. But it's talking about wisdom that excludes God. It's talking about when intelligent people say, I'm smart enough by myself. 
I don't need God. This belief in God is, doesn't make sense. I'm educated. That's for people that are of simple minds. It's not about intelligent people are atheists and simple people are Christians. No, no, if, you, if you've got any mind, you believe in God. Trust me, they're going to find out. That's why it talks about the foolishness of preaching, not foolish preaching. There's no shortage of that in the world. But the foolishness of preaching, in other words, God has decided that it's not going to be achieved through education. It's not going to be achieved by only the smartest get through, the top 5%. It's going to be achieved by when he takes a vessel of clay, puts his anointing in that vessel. And the word of God is preached that lives can be changed and transformed and turned around. Never underestimate the power of being under the sound of a preacher's voice. Hallelujah. I love all the aspects of our service. I love the fact we're in the prayer room. And I thank God for a packed prayer room this morning. That directly connected to the move of the Spirit we had in our worship service. I love the worship. I love the liberty. I love when God moves. But it's the preaching of the Word of God that will save the soul. Not the preacher, but the preaching of the Word of God. Hallelujah. You see, Romans 1 and 22, and I've been living in Romans chapter 1 a bit recently. You probably picked that up in some of the preaching. We're living in the age of Romans chapter 1, if you look around. Romans chapter 1, verse 22 says, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. What it's saying is they decided that they were smart enough, they didn't need a God, they turned away from God, they ceased to believe that he even existed and depended on their own wisdom and their own intellect. And you can read the rest of Romans 1 later and see what came about because of that. Bless the Lord. When you look at verse 19 in that passage, the Lord said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. If you're going to depend in your own flesh, there are going to be consequences for that. You're going to pay a price in your own life and in your own family's life. Amen. In verse 27, I'm just picking out a few, where it says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Again, it's not talking about stupid things and stupid people. It's talking about things that the intellectuals that shut God out think are foolish. They're the things that God is going to use to prove them wrong. It's like God is saying, disregard me as much as you like. Talk down about me as much as you like. Believe I don't exist as much as you like. Ridicule people of faith as much as you like. But watch me use those people to destroy your wisdom. That's the God that we serve. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, if you're going to be a Christian, you may take some ridicule. You may take some criticism. In fact, when we were at men's camp last weekend... Brother Aaron Bounds said that if you've never been mocked or ridiculed, you might not actually be apostolic. <laughs> it's part of the package. Anybody like being mocked? If you do, I don't know if you cancels, I can point you in the direction off. Nobody likes it. But the Lord said the things this world thinks are foolish. Bless the Lord. And we, we are foolish in the sight of this world. You'll have people ask you, do you really believe in that stuff? Do you believe the world was made in seven actual days? Do you really believe there's a man with a boat full of animals and a worldwide flood? Do you really believe that a man dying on a cross 2,000 years ago can somehow 
take away all of your sins? You really believe that stuff? You believe in heaven? Absolutely. You believe in hell? Well, if there's one, there's got to be the other. You believe in speaking in tongues? Absolutely. As the Spirit gives the utterance. Yes, yes, and yes. I believe in all of those things. You know, as I was preparing, the Lord really impressed this upon my heart. The stronger that you believe the Word of God and its promises, the less the opinion of the world will bother you. The more convinced you are that what that book says is truth, the less that people's opinions will matter. I'm going back to high school. Don't know why I'm in high school this morning, but I am. In about year nine, I think it was, we were in something they used to call shop class, woodwork. And uh, we got a new teacher. came into the class, first time we'd ever had him. And uh, we're all about, I guess, 13, 14. And he said, I need two volunteers to help pack up the equipment every lesson. It's a class full of pretty much all boys, I think. Sorry, ladies, if that's unfair. This is how it was. I didn't write the rules. No hands went up. I mean, who wants to volunteer to pack up the equipment every single class? Finally, he picked two young men. He said, you and you. And they were like, oh, really? And then he said, if you're a volunteer in my class, you get to go out of class five minutes for everybody every single lesson. And those two guys all of a sudden were like, hey. <laughs> See, they didn't, we didn't know that was a part of the deal. But what also happened was I had him in another subject, in that technical drawing subject. Two of us from the woodwork class happened to be in his technical drawing class. And so when he started the class with the same thing, I need two volunteers to pack up. My friend and I put our hands up so fast we nearly dislocated our shoulders. And all the other kids were like, what is wrong with you? You never volunteer for anything. Something, but we knew something they didn't know. Because we'd been in that class and we're just sitting there with this smug look in our face. You'll find out. You'll find out. And then he said, volunteers in my class get to leave the class five minutes early every lesson. And we're sitting there thinking, <laughs> you thought we were fools, huh? Who's the fool now? Because we knew something they did not know. And this morning, if you trust in this book, there's something that you know that the rest of this world does not understand. And when they say, what is wrong with you? Why do you insist on living that way? Why won't you drink? Why won't you smoke? Why won't you sleep around? Why won't you do all that stuff? Because I know something. I know something that you don't understand. And if you think I'm a fool, that's okay. There's a day coming when I'm going to stand before him and say, See, I knew something. Hallelujah. But God forbid that our attitude should be like that to include, but we need to do everything we can to persuade them. You know, there's a thing, I've never had stocks and shares or any of that stuff on the stock market. I'm not smart enough to do that, and I never seem to have any leftover money lying around to do it with. But they say that there's a thing called insider trading. And basically what that means is, if Brother Steve here has got some company that he started and built from the ground up and it's not doing too well. The shares are really cheap. But then he's about to make this brilliant business move because Brother Steve's a pretty sharp guy. And he lets me know, hey, Pastor, because I love you and I care about you and I want you to have lots of money. He said, I'm about to do this. And he said, when I do that, the market's going to change. And my shares that are a dollar each now are going to rocket 
He said, but I'm not telling anybody else. So I go down to my stockbroker, who I don't even know because I haven't had one before, and I take whatever money I can find behind the cushions on the couch, under the seat in the car, you know, talk to my parents about getting my will ahead of time. And I go to my stockbroker and say, put all of this on Steve Incorporated. All of it. Every cent that I've got. And he looks at me as if to say, okay, why? Don't worry, just trust me. Just trust me on this one. And he says, you do realize that it's my responsibility to advise you against bad investments. I don't know, don't, just trust me on this one. And I put that money in, I walk out with whatever they give you to say to prove that you've bought so many shares of Steve's pretty average property or company at that time. But then Steve makes that business move. And all of a sudden, you know those funny graphs where the lines go up with the arrow on the end? Steve's shares just begin to take off. And I'm sitting there, and my eyeballs are dollar signs. And I'm just watching the money. Cha-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. I'm just getting rich watching the internet. But you see, if nobody else bought any of Steve's shares, they're going to come to me. And they're going to say, what did you know? How did you know that? And in, in that world, and I don't understand all of it, but if, if you get caught operating on information that wasn't public, you can actually get in a lot of trouble for insider trading, for having knowledge that nobody else had. But the thing is, if you trust your source, even if everybody else thinks that's insane, if your source is trustworthy, you'll invest your money. It's exactly the same. In the, we see our responsibility as the church is to demonstrate to people the confidence we have in our source. For people to see that there's a reason that we trust in this that they don't understand. And somehow we've got to say, bro, I know it doesn't make a lot of sense. I know speaking in tongues is the craziest thing you've ever heard of. But trust me, my source is solid. My source is good. My source is tried and true. He's never let me down. Everything that he's told me has come to pass. Everything he's told me, he said, here's a deal you can get in on at the ground level. He's never, ever let me down. And that's our responsibility. We're going to be foolish for a little while. But that's okay. There's a day coming when we're going to be able to stand with those that said he was right. I trusted what he said. And he was right. I looked like a bit of a goose for a while. Other people thought there was something wrong with me, that this religion thing was a bit extreme. Yeah, okay, believe in God, that's fine. None of this change your life business. But you see, the Bible tells us, I think it was Jesus was speaking about a merchant man, had all these pearls. He found out about one pearl of great price. And he did what every investor, every investment broker tells you not to do. Put all his eggs in one basket. Sold everything that he had. And he said, everything I've got for that pearl. He recognized the value of that one pearl compared to everything else that he had in his life. Stand with me if you would this morning. If I could have you on the piano, please, Cassandra. Here's my question. What kind of foolish do you want to be involved in? What kind, we're all going to be one kind of foolish. There's no opt-out option. It's not like when you get these silly marketing text messages that send you stuff you're not interested in. Then the boss says, text stop to opt out. In life, you're either going to be the first, the second, or the third kind of foolish. It's up to us. We're going to be foolish in rejecting God. 
We're going to be foolish and being half-hearted with God. Are we going to be saying, I'm not real worried about what they say. I'm going to trust my source. You want to talk about insider trading? This book is the best tip you'll ever get. What it says in here is the best tip you'll ever get. And you look around the world and it doesn't even seem to line up or make sense. But my source, his name is Jesus has never ever let me down he's never let me down and one day all of humanity the bible says will stand before him the sea will give up the dead we'll all stand before him it's going to be like that class i was in it's going to be a whole lot of people wondering what's going on but those that have obeyed the word of god will be standing there with their hands raised saying god i'm glad i listened i'm glad i heard your word i'm glad i trusted in the promise I'm glad it didn't worry me what my family thought. I didn't like being ridiculed, Lord, but the opportunity was too good to pass up. As we worship the Lord this morning, wherever, which, what kind of fool are you? That's a pretty nasty question. But I want to be, I'm willing to be a fool for him in the eyes of the world. And if you need to change your kind of foolishness this morning, These altars are open if you want to find a place to pray and say, Lord, I think I've been in this column. I want to step across into that column where you will use your word to destroy the wisdom of the wise. Let's lift our hands and worship him.